Hello. Thanks for tuning in to the Saturday Night Supper Club podcast. Jesus said, blessed are the weak and wimpy, right? Of course not. But this is the question that Pastor Bob Holloway posed to us as he preached this week, talking about the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, where Jesus says, blessed are the meek. A lot of people hear the word meek and they think that it means weak and wimpy, when really it means somebody full of humility, peace, and gentleness. Enjoy. I don't know how many of you have been around. I've been teaching about once a month, and so it feels a little erratic, but I've been teaching through the, um, the Sermon on the Mount. And I began with the Beatitudes in Matthew 5. And so tonight we're going to focus on Jesus' words in uh, Matthew 5, 5. I'm going to pick up with, <laughs> and I gave you my best humor in this the little marketing thing. I, said, I think I said, Jesus said, blessed are the weak and wimpy. And I thought that was hilarious, and nobody thought it was funny but me. So I got this, <laughs> this w- weird humor, I guess. Right, David? A little bit. Yeah, okay, thank you. And so uh, and I thought that was really funny, and everybody went, what? So now, we all know he didn't really say that, but it does leave some confusion when he uses the word meek. So we're going to try to clear that up tonight. What in the world did he mean when he said, blessed are the meek? Because to me, well, and not just not just me, because, you know, I deal with a lot of people in, in ministry, who aren't just church people, okay? And to them, meek is not a good word. And to some church people, it leaves a lot of confusion. We're going to try to, we're going to talk about that tonight. Because in Matthew 5, 5, and, and this is the translation, and I really liked it when Amy was using the word, the translation, the voice. And so I liked it so well, I actually went out and bought the Bible. Yeah, I really like it. It's, good, it's got some good, good verbiage. Here's, here's what it says. Blessed are the meek and gentle. They will inherit the earth. Meek and gentle. So remember those words, meek and gentle. Um, and then in the New Living Translation, it said, God blesses those who are humble. So there's another word. It's good, meek and gentle and humble. Three words that are synonymous kind of with what he's trying to say there. So now, depending on whom you talk to, when you ask someone how they would define the word meek, people would usually describe a meek person in one of maybe a couple of different ways, depending on who you talk to. One group of people might say, well, meek means weak and wimpy, like I said in my title, unassertive, submissive, or at best possible in kind terms, they might say maybe they're nice or maybe they're kind-hearted people. That's about the best you're going to get out of the word make, usually. But even the dictionaries have a hard time with it. Because in the secular dictionaries, you'll hear words like having or showing a low estimate. Or even of one's own importance. Some of the synonyms include really negative words. Like, get this, self-effacing, unassertive, unassuming, even self-deprecating. I don't think that's what Jesus had in mind. So from the world's perspective, meekness has always meant not violent or strong, but deficient in spirit and courage. Deficient in spirit and courage. That can't be what he was getting at, do you think? Okay, so that sounds weak and wimpy. That's where I got that. I should have done something better with that, but I'm not a good marketing person. I kind of threw that at Sarah, and she said, really? 
And I said, yeah, well, just go with it, and we'll clear it up on Saturday. And she said, okay, Bob. And she's used to working with stronger people. So, <laughs> But even in history, the Greek words for humility and weakness all implied contempt. Throughout history, this has not been a good word. Everything associated with being humble and being um, and becoming humble, the process even, was something associated with shame. So Jesus was coming from somewhere, even in his own culture, that was not a positive thing. Biblically, however, God had a totally different perspective on this word. So let me start in the Old Testament, and let's bring it forward from a biblical perspective and see if we can shine a different light on this. You okay? Let me start with Micah, because I love Micah, especially this verse. It's in chapter 6, verse 8. He's a prophet, and he's speaking for the Lord here. Prophetically, he's speaking for, for the Lord. And you can hear something of God's perspective on this subject when he compares um, an extreme view on the subject of, uh, in, it's totally opposite of, the, of their, their cultural perspective. He's speaking now in humility and meekness, I think, and he's, this is him speaking for the Lord. It's in the Amplified, so it's got some nuances here in the translation, I think. But I think they're correct. So let me read this to you. He has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you except to be just? And this is in the parentheses. And to love and to diligently practice kindness and compassion. So this is God's take on it. It's to be, this is what God requires of you, to be just and to love and diligently practice kindness and compassion and to walk humbly with the Lord. This is what God wants us to be, just and to walk in compassion and kindness, setting aside any overblown sense of importance or self-righteousness. So we've got a different perspective from God's view, don't we? So we read that, and we all nod in agreement, don't we, and say, yeah, that's right. But when it comes to meekness, and most of the world still sees a certain powerlessness in meekness and being meek, and it still looks to them weak. They might say, yeah, that's compassionate and kind and everything, but we don't see any strength in that at all. So let me read you an account of a man named Moses. And you can tell me if you see the qualities that the Lord described in Micah in this man's life, Okay. So this is uh, from Numbers 12. It's a, a book in the Old Testament. It's not something I'm, I'm telling you the numbers. I'm saying this is a, ch a book in the Old Testament. Chapter 12, and this is an account of two people named Miriam and Aaron. And they were talking behind Moses' back, and they were not happy with him. They were jealous, and they were... Actually, they were talking behind his back. And it says, because of his Cushite wife, she was actually an Ethiopian he had married. And that was, there, it was just an excuse to be bringing other ca charges against him. They weren't happy with him at all because of his leadership. And they felt like they should be bringing more authority and leadership into the leading of the nation. And basically, they said, is it only Moses that speaks only Moses that God speaks through. Doesn't he also speak through us? And this is where it gets bad for them. And God overheard their talk. Now the man Moses was a quietly humble man. More so than anyone on earth. Now that puts him at the top of the list, doesn't it? 
<laughs> and for the Lord to mention this in Numbers, that he was a quietly humble man, more so than anyone on earth, it's something we should take note of. Now, I want you to, to know there's, that's what's written in the scripture, but what is not written is what we should make a note on here. What is not there that we should mention? What is not there is the fact that Moses didn't take any, he didn't challenge them. There's no mention of Moses taking offense of their assaults, insults, or challenging their, his authority. He wasn't angry. He, doesn't, he didn't confront them. He didn't, he didn't become, um, he doesn't make a big deal of this. In fact, it doesn't say that he even said anything to them about this whole thing, if he was aware of it. And nor did he find any reason to defend himself. Apparently, choosing to disregard their insults and challenges altogether. So just hold that thought. This is something about people who are humble and genuinely, quietly humble people. But someone else did take issue with this challenge to his authority. And you see in the next line, God broke in suddenly. And suddenly is a key word there. On Moses and Aaron and Miriam saying, come out you three to the tent of meeting right now. Come with me. And this is not a good thing for Miriam and, and, and Aaron. And says, and so they three went out and God descended in a pillar of cloud and stood at the entrance to the tent. And he called Aaron and Miriam to him. And when they stepped out, he said, listen carefully to what I'm telling you. If there's a prophet of God among you, I make myself known to him in visions and I speak to him in dreams. But I don't do it that way with my servant. Now, there's a delineation here I want you to see. With my prophets, I do this, but with my servant, I do this. Now, this is a difference between his prophets and my servant. There's an endearing word here, my servant. Do you understand the difference between prophets and my servant? There's something endearing here about Moses. He is the run of my entire house. I speak to him intimately in person, in plain talk without riddles. He ponders the very form of God. So why, do you, why did you show no reverence or respect in speaking against my servant, against Moses? The anger of God blazed out against them, and then he left. The presence of God was gone and departed from them. And when the cloud moved off from the tent, oh, Miriam had turned leprous. Her skin was like snow. And Aaron took one look at Miriam, a leper, and he said to Moses, please, my master, please don't come down so hard on us for this foolish and thought, thoughtless sin. And Moses had had nothing to do with this. But God had departed, so he had no one else to talk to. <laughs> please don't make her like a stillborn baby coming out of its mother's womb with my with half of its body decomposed. Now, what was Moses' response, being that he was the most humble of men? Moses prayed to God immediately. Please, God, heal her. Please heal her. This is what humble people do who have taken no offense. 
they're immediately moved in compassion to respond to love. His response was not mocking revenge, nor what we see here, though, is an immediate compassionate heartfelt move to bless her in an instant to cry out for her healing. So there was no forethought, just a reaction in love. And that, my friends, is the picture of meekness. You get it? He had the power to exact revenge. It was right there in his hands. But he also had the grace to withhold revenge. And even more, his heart was to release a blessing rather than a curse. You get it? This is meekness. He withheld the power of revenge and retaliation and anger. Instead, he released blessing. And do you know why? He chose the better thing, not because it was the right doctrine or religious thing to do. That would have required thought and some consideration. But see, his immediate response, without thinking, was something that flowed out of his heart immediately out of compassion. And that act came from deep within his heart of compassion was something that was rooted in a work that had been, been done in him as he was broken in the wilderness experience with God. There was something that was done in this man's heart in the wilderness that came out of him in the moment that flowed out of his love. He didn't have to think about it. It was an immediate response. Do you get it? It wasn't out of a religious list of things that you need to do. When someone does this, you do this. It was something that had happened in his work with God in the place of brokenness. Let me give you some more because I, I may not have made that clear. Let's look further for our answer. Since Moses really is just a type and a shadow of something to come that's much better in the New Testament, he's a picture of Jesus. Did you know that? Okay, so um, what it says about this quality of weakness, meekness, let's look at Matthew 5, 5 in the Amplified, and I'll give you a better picture of that verse, what it says in the Amplified. It says this, blessed, and then in the Amplified it says, inwardly peaceful, spiritually secure and worthy of respect. Now I'm going to go back and, and give you some better words on this. I'm going to rewrite this, and I'm going to give you the Holloway version. <laughs> or the gentle, the kind-hearted, sweet-spirited, and self-controlled. <laughs> for they will inherit the earth. Now let me just rewrite that for you, because this, this is sweet. Spiritually secure are the sweet-spirited and self-controlled, for they will inherit the earth. See, the meek stand solidly on the rock, and they know who they are. They are sweet-spirited and self-controlled because of their spiritual position, their identity, not doctrinally or just theologically, but it's what's been revealed to them by the one who loves them, and they're secure in that love. And because they're secure in the love that they've received in this place with the one who loves them, they don't have to respond out of need. They respond out of a place of security. Let me read on. Meekness was attributed to the person of Jesus Christ by a very reputable source. It was by himself. He spoke to about himself because he is the truth and he can speak with complete integrity. So he can say about himself, 
Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart and you will find rest for your souls. And that's the absolute truth because that's who he is. Did you know that not everyone in the world sees Jesus the way you and I do? In fact, a lot of people in the world see him as a victim on the cross. Now, I know that may take you back, but you've got to hang out with some people who aren't believers and, and listen to them sometimes, and they'll tell you, didn't he lose that battle? Wasn't he a loving, wonderful, meek loser? See, they see... They see someone there who was powerless and fully defeated, beaten by Satan, and given over in a battle to a stronger foe. I mean, he may have been meek and full of compassion, maybe, but he was powerless nonetheless. So let's see if Paul can clarify that for us, because I'm going to go to a verse here in Philippians 2, and I want you to see Paul's take on this, because Paul had an encounter with Jesus. Not just Jesus, he had an encounter with the Christ. Do you know the difference? One was risen. <laughs> and when Paul received his instruction in the doctrine that he wrote in the New Testament, do you know that he had the encounter with the risen Christ? The one who had been crucified and had come back. And that's where he got most of his doctrine for the New Testament. So this is what Paul wrote about the character and person of the Christ. He says, this is what we should be like. This is the person that I got the, everything I wrote to you about, this is what he's like, and this is I ch what I challenge you to be like. Okay, see if this doesn't demonstrate some of the attributes of meekness. Don't do anything from selfish ambition or from a cheap desire to boast, but be humble. Remember that sweet-spirited and self-controlled thing be humble toward one another always considering others better than yourself and look out for one another's interests not just your own the attitude you should have is the one that Christ Jesus had now here's, here's he goes on to explain what that looks like he always had the nature of God but he did not think that by force he should try to remain equal with God instead of that of his own free will, he gave all that he had. And I put in parentheses, this is my explanation of that, but the Holloway commentary. <laughs> so give me a little liberty here. Choosing to become defenseless, remaining sweet-spirited and self-controlled, just as Moses had, choosing to trust God to defend his reputation and his destiny and his life. He took the nature of a servant, Remember? Remember in the Lord's reference to my servant Moses, he had chosen to be, in that shadow, he had become the servant. Rather than a prophet or someone with a lofty title, he had become the servant of the Lord. He became like a human being and appeared in human likeness. He was humble and walked the path of obedience all the way to his death, his death on the cross. All the while remaining sweet-spirited, self-controlled and defenseless like a lamb. Am I right? So this is the model of meekness. Absolutely able at any point to exact retribution. He could have called down legions of angels, but chose instead to bless instead of curse. 
Let me take a page from Danny Silk's book. Um, it's called Keep Your Love On. <clears throat> I'm going to give some different language. And maybe use some different words that might help you. Danny describes the characteristic and quality of meekness so well when he talks about a certain kind of people who are both compassionate and yet strong at the same time. And he, he, uses, he uses the word powerful, words powerful people. And the first time I read this book, I, I was confused. How do, as he refers to powerful people in this context. And I had to read it several times to understand what he was trying to say because it didn't make sense to me when he was talking about powerful people in this, in this, in this uh, particular communication style. But what qualities would make someone powerful at the same time meek and gentle? It just didn't, it didn't make sense. It sounded like a contradiction of, of words. The world's view of meekness is to see humble, gentle people as passive. Isn't that right? And sometimes that's true, but oftentimes being passive means I allow people to overstep their authority in my life, and I have been hurt by people maybe who have overrun those boundaries. Isn't that usually true of passive people? Well, I just, I'm a doormat, and people just take advantage of me, and they use me, they abuse me, and I just don't have any rights, and I can't stand up for myself, and I get overrun by people taking advantage of me. Isn't that what we see in passivity? Do this. And then I know you okay. These people are sometimes... The people who take advantage of these little sheepies are usually wolves, aren't they? And sometimes these people are very aggressive, is the other word he uses. You have the passive and you have the aggressive and you have the passive-aggressive. These are some of the terms he uses. These folks that are aggressive have been seen as the take charge, make something happen people. And in worldly terms, this is his quote, they're the people who say, I matter and you don't, right? And we've seen them in the business world all the time, don't we? They go all the way to the top, and on the way up, they step on everybody. They know how to get what they want because they're large and in charge. They're the biggest, loudest, and scariest ones in the room. But see, these aggressive people exist for, for one thing, and that's to get their needs met at everyone else's expense, unfortunately. So, but here's the rub. Most people think that aggressive and powerful is the same word. And it can mean that in some cultures, but that's not true. Let, for, unless you think that for one moment, that an aggressive person is the same as a powerful person. Let me stop you right there and use Danny's language to explain something here. If you heard someone described as a powerful person, you might assume maybe he is the loudest person in the room, the one telling everyone else what to do, but powerful does not mean dominating. In fact, a controlling, dominating person is the opposite of a powerful person. One quality of a powerful person is they do not try to control other people. A powerful person in this terminology is a person, they, they know that's not their job to control other people. Their job is to learn to control themselves. What makes them powerful is that they learn to control their lives. They learn to control everything about their lives, and they begin to exert decisions and choices in their lives that they make for their lives and them, themselves alone and not for other people. A powerful person's choice to love will then stand no matter what other person does. 
When powerful people say, I love you, there's nothing that will stop them from loving you because it's not dependent on any choices you make. It's a decision they've made. You get it? So when, when their love is not dependent on love being returned, it's dependent totally on the decision they've made and no decision you make on, in return. Jesus said this, whether you love me in return or not is not the issue. If I have chosen to love you, that's my decision, and I made it based on my choice and not on your ability to respond. Is that true? Does that make him a powerful person? Is he totally assertive and powerful? And does he withhold that ability to retaliate and instead give grace? That makes him a meek, assertive person. What drives that kind of love? What is the power behind that kind of love? Powerful people are assertive people, and their motivation is never for themselves. It's always toward the object of their love. It's the same thing with the people who are followers of Jesus. We are learning in our own little baby-like steps to try to follow in those steps. We don't do it well every time, but our goal is to learn how to do that. Am I right? Do this. <laughs> because tonight, I'm telling you, that's our goal. Some qualities worth noting. Assertive, powerful people have, through a process of healing, you hear this? It's a process of healing that brings us into a place of learning how to do this well. We practice it, and we get healing in our hearts so that we can begin to give grace instead of retaliation and anger and control. We become secure in who we are so that we look to him for our needs and never demand it from others as a source in return for love. We stand in that truth and we require nothing further from people to reinforce our identity. In other words, we are God-sufficient in that identity and our love needs. That's our goal. We're not there yet, but we're working toward that, aren't we? Okay, any love or affirmation that comes to us in these relationships with people is just gravy, folks. <laughs> it's not something that sustains us. Now, we may need it, but we don't always get it, do we? Sometimes the people we demand it from don't have it to give. You know what? If we suck the life out of them and they die in the process, you know what? Everybody suffers, don't they? The key phrase that echoes in my heart, when I, when I just put this into um, one phrase, it looks like this. Assertive, powerful people know how to respond without retaliating or intimidating or controlling with anger and revenge and fear and will speak to a person's negative behavior with clear boundaries and respect, all the while holding to the connection of love. I love you and this is what a healthy behavior looks like and I'm communicating to you in a way that doesn't demonstrate anger and control. Let me say up front, this behavior is beyond my ability, and you can ask my wife, and she will tell you that I don't do this well, but I try. She will also tell you that. And we're all in process, aren't we? It is so much like Jesus alone, and I still have to ask myself, how can I ever hope to do this impossible thing? Often I revert to my passive or my aggressive nature. Sometimes I want to demand 
sometimes I want to disappear. Anybody else ever do that? Everyone here, raise your hand. Because we're all human beings. And what we have to do, our goal is to be assertive and powerful in our life. And when I find myself failing to be meek, the answer is that I need a savior. That's always the answer. And when I need a savior, I turn and the answer is to repent. Turn to God and say, I need you, Jesus. Come and heal my heart so that I can begin to respond to people with meekness. You get it? Okay. So if you have access to inner healing tools and ministries like Sozo Prayer Ministry or healing ministries like what Carla does or prayer ministries, things like Janet's with the healing rooms and things of that nature, use those things because when you know you're failing to be meek, that's the time to repent and get healing, right? Everybody do this. Okay. Now here's what we're going to do. I'm going to pray for you. Did you get the message of what I'm talking about? I'm going to read to you one verse out of the message. This is the picture that Paul wrote. <clears throat> He's encapsulating the picture of love. It's from 1 Corinthians 10. You've read it, heard it many times. But this is out of the message, and I thought it was especially good. He said, he says, I got this message, what love really is from perfect love. He visited me and told me this is what it was. He demonstrated it to me when I failed, when I was a murderer, and he accosted me on the road and blinded me and gave me another chance. <laughs> and gave me another chance. And he showed me what love was. And this is what he demonstrated to me. If I give everything I own to the poor and I even go to the stake to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've gotten nowhere. So no matter what I say and what I believe and what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. And love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut and doesn't have a swelled head, and doesn't force itself on others. It isn't always me first, and doesn't fly off the handle, and doesn't keep score of the sins of others. It doesn't revel when others grovel. It doesn't take pleasure. It does take pleasure in the flowering of truth. It trusts God always. It always looks for the best. It never looks back, but it keeps going to the end, and love never dies. Isn't that good? Let me pray for you. <laughs> thank you Father Lord thank you for Jesus the perfect love the one who so many times has stopped us on the road and blinded all of us at one time or another the one who's come to us after we denied him three times and taken us back and fed us fish on the beach and all those stories chances that we didn't deserve. Thank you for Jesus, the meek one, the one who gave us grace. And so, Lord, if we don't know what that's about, then we just haven't met him, and we'd be glad to introduce him to you tonight if you want to know. Thank you that you're such a wonderful, intimate, personal God. You're nothing like what people said you were like. 
We love you so much. Lord, we just, tonight, we just purpose in our hearts to pursue the goal of meekness that holds all that stuff and puts it away and that will not, re, that will not retaliate in anger and control and intimidation or in passivity and, and isolation. We refuse, Lord, to go back to those old ways, those ways of death. Instead, Lord, we just choose to be powerful people who hold on to the connection of love in our relationships and extend grace in the midst of healthy boundaries. We choose to continue to communicate the words of love and respect and honor. We bless you that you continue to be so faithful in our lives that you hold on to us and you continue to minister that to us. We choose tonight to minister that to others. And to those around us that we love, we continue to release grace and forgiveness and mercy. And we pray, God, come and help us. Heal our broken hearts. Let us be just like your son, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thank you. As always, thanks so much for listening to the SNSC podcast. Here at Saturday Night Supper Club, we care so much about authentic relationships and genuine community. I encourage you to come check us out if you're ever in the Castle Rock, Colorado area. We meet every Saturday night. We have awesome worship, an amazing message from one of these speakers, and we always serve a free meal to close. For more information, go to SaturdayNightSupperClub.org. Have a great week.